0: I think most of you know, maybe some of you don't, but I used to be a basketball coach. Uh, When I was when I was in seminary, I coached basketball for three years and I really, really loved it. I really enjoy basketball a lot. I grew up playing it. And what I found is I started coaching. I started to say things that my coach used to say to me. I think that's the way it works. I, I now say things to my kids that my dad used to say to me. Same thing with my coach. And as I was coaching, I started using this term that my coach used to say all the time. It used to drive me crazy. And then all of a sudden, one day I realized I was saying it. And I would say, uh, as the guys were practicing and we'd be going over plays and all of a sudden I'd blow the whistle and stop and I'd say, you're getting tunnel vision. That's what my coach used to say to us all the time. Now, you don't need to know much about basketball at all, really, to understand what he meant. But what he meant was this. We would get going on our plays and and I'd be teaching plays. And the same thing when I was a player, someone's teaching you plays and you're going through them and you, you go from A to B to C and you make these certain passes and you do these certain things. And what happens is you become so focused on running the play, you forget what you're trying to do. And, and my coach would blow the whistle in the same way I would. What would happen is we'd be passing the ball around, and a kid would catch the ball and he'd be wide open, and he'd have a wide, he'd be right next to the basket, no one around him, and he'd turn and he'd pass it to where it went next for the play. And he'd blow the whistle and he'd say, "What are you doing? You don't need to know anything about basketball to know that the, the main goal is to put it in the basket." And here the kid would be wide open, but he'd be so focused on what the play is, he'd turn and pass it back out and he'd say, stop, stop. The play is here to help us get the ball in the goal. It's not just to run the play for the sake of running the play. We're trying to score. And so you'd start to say that. And what would happen is we'd get so focused on what we were trying to do and running the plays, we'd get focused on the things that weren't the most important. And that's really what we're going to talk about this morning, because the same thing happens today in the passage we're going to be looking at. Jesus is going to step in and talk to some religious leaders that have become so focused on the things on the side that they're not focused on what's, what they're really supposed to be. And what happens is they become so focused, they get tunnel vision on the rules. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see Jesus come in and talk about a sad, uh, some controversy that's happening over the Sabbath. And if you want to follow along with me today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you want to follow along, the text is actually printed in our bulletin this morning. So if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, it's right there in your bulletin. And I'm going to read that, and then we're going to talk about how Jesus addresses this problem when we take the things that are peripheral, the things that are supposed to be on the side, and we make them the main thing. So let's look at what he says here in Matthew chapter 12. At this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, And his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord on the Sabbath. And he went on from there and he entered the synagogue. And as a man was there with a withered hand, And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Oh, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and he restored and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at this passage. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it changes us. We thank you for how it can speak to our deepest needs, our deepest problems. I pray that you would expose those things that we're putting uh, center in our life that shouldn't be there, that we would see you clearly, that we would see you as the center. Of all that we're to be, I pray that we would see that clearly this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have for us in your word. We thank you for all you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about this Sabbath controversy, but I don't want you to check out mentally and go, Oh, no, we're talking about Sabbath and rules and all these things, because there's some much broader applications for all of us here. It's not just about Sabbath. We're going to use that as the backdrop, and we need to understand what that means to really get it. But when we do, there's a lot here on uh, a lot more to it than just some rules or how we're to come to those. So we're going to ask three questions this morning that's going to get us to that. And the first I want to start with is what is Sabbath? What does it mean in Scripture when it talks about that? Two, how is it misused? And three, how are we to see it? So how is it misused and how are we to see it? But in, in order to do that, we need to start with what it is. We need to have at least a general understanding of what Scripture talks about when it talks about the Sabbath and what was happening. And in order to do that, you have to go all the way back. anybody know the first time it's mentioned in Scripture. You've got to go way back. It's actually the end of Genesis 1, the beginning of Genesis 2 with the creation of the world. It's right there at the very beginning. And at the end of Genesis 2, it says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what we get when we go back all the way to the beginning of Scripture is that Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath rest, Sabbath literally means rest, means to stop what you're doing, to be still in activity. And and it's right there at the beginning. God says he rested, he stopped. But in order to really get that We need to think about how God is different from us. This is a question that children will often ask when you talk about this. If you go through creation, you get to the seventh day, and you say God rested. Inevitably, some child will ask, "Well, was He tired?" And it's a a good question. It's almost so obvious. Sometimes children ask the best questions, and you go, "Well, no, He wasn't tired. God wasn't resting because He was so exhausted from His act of creation. He was resting because He was pleased. He was completely pleased. It was in perfect harmony." Right. When God finished his creation, he said it is very good. And he rested. And what it was is that God created and he made the earth and he set things up and he did it. He made it and it was in perfect peace. what the Bible calls Shalom, perfect harmony. Everything was working perfectly. So God looks at his creation and he rests because he sees all of it perfectly. Now, I want us to be careful here because God doesn't rest. His uh, perfect rest is not um dependent on his creation being perfect. God is perfect at rest in himself at all times because God is perfect. He does. It's not dependent on external things. It's perfect. But when he looks at his creation, there's a rest there because it's all going perfectly. And there's this neat picture of how everything's great. Well, the second time Sabbath comes and just just think about that this morning. I really want that to to rest on you for a second. What would that be like? perfect and total peace and rest that's really hard to even imagine it is for me uh if you if you talk to my wife if you ask joanna i'm a little bit ocd i'm a little bit obsessive compulsive i have a hard time sitting still for longer than any you know you go oh i'm gonna just rest i'm gonna today i'll go home it'll be sunday afternoon i'm just gonna sit and inevitably within 15 minutes you're going oh, i've got this to do and i've got this to do and it's so hard to just stop and actually rest but what we have in Genesis 1 and 2 is that's what's happening. Everything is perfect. And there is an actual full and true rest that this, that's there. The second time Sabbath comes up in Scripture, the next time it gets mentioned is a book later, and it's in Exodus chapter 20. And if you know what happens in Exodus 20, that's when God gives the Ten Commandments. And he gives the Ten Commandments, and he makes the command that we're to rest. Well, now there's a huge thing that happens between Genesis 2 and Exodus 20. Well, there's a whole lot that happens between Genesis 2 and Exodus 20, but there's one thing that's really important with the way we relate to God as people that happens from Genesis 2 to Exodus 20. And I'd say it happens in Genesis 3, and what happens is sin enters the world, right? God sets man up in the garden and everything is perfect. It's at perfect peace. It's flowing along perfectly. And he says, I want you to trust me. Just trust me. Don't go eat from this one thing. I want you just to trust that I know best and what does man do? They say, I think I know better. And when that happens, sin enters the world and things get all distorted and out of whack. And so when we get to Sabbath in the Ten Commandments, there's a little different feel to it now as people. God gives us Sabbath rest and he makes this command to us. He says, you need to rest because you're working so hard and you're doing all these things that you're not quite got it right. And, And what I mean by that is... Go back to right at the beginning, Genesis three, the fall creation happens. God sets them up. Then they decide to to basically we're not going to completely pay attention to God. And so hard things enter. It's kind of like the machines working along perfectly and a, and a wrench gets thrown in it and it gets messed up. And so suddenly work becomes very hard and it becomes out of whack and that everything's not perfect anymore. So when God gives us ten commandments, he gives us the Sabbath. And he tells us to rest. And there's really two reasons he gives it to us. And he gives it to us partly for our own good. He tells us to rest. We need rest because we get so busy and we need these things and we get out of whack and we need to stop. But more importantly than that, more importantly than just the rest, God does give us Sabbath rest for our own welfare. We need to stop. We need to stop being so busy and we need to rest. But more importantly than that, we need to stop and confess to God that not everything is going to fall apart if I don't keep working. You see what, the, see what I'm, I'm aiming at here? When we stop before him, what we're saying is we belong to the Lord and everything is sustained by his hand. Right? When God gives the, the direction that you need to rest on the Sabbath, have a Sabbath unto the Lord, you stop. And it's to focus on his complete sovereignty and who he is and how he's supposed to be the center. And our rest can only be in him. Do you see that? It's not just a physical rest, although it is that. But a good way to think about it when we think about the Sabbath for us is that Sabbath is for our welfare, but it's also for God's glory. And I'd even take it a step farther, because when you start to get that connection, you really think that through our welfare and God's glory are really one and the same. Right? I love the way I love the way uh, Dr. John Piper says it, and he says it better than anyone I've heard. He says he being God, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So you see what what we're getting at. Sabbath is we stop. And we rest and we focus on God. We rest in who he is and what he's doing. And we don't have to be so busy. See, when sin entered the world, we've totally distorted the whole thing on how we work and what we do. And there was work going on. God gave work for Adam to do in the garden. He was he's to go out and he was to do. He had jobs and certain things he did. But the difference between that before the fall and after the fall is this. Oftentimes now our work and what we make busy, we're trying to justify ourselves. We've taken our work and we've made it the way that we, we feel good about ourselves. I'll give you a perfect example. It happens with almost every two men when they meet. They say, hey, how are you going? I'm Bob. I'm Joe. Whatever. Right? And they, they shake hands. And then the first question is, what do you do? Right? You ever think about what's kind of behind that? We're, we're asking who they are as a person based on what they do. We do that all the time. We've taken work, we've taken the things we do, the way we go about our day, and we make that how we justify ourselves. So when God gives us this, this Sabbath, he's saying, you need to stop. You need to stop doing all this and focus on me. Right? The most important thing about you is how you relate to God, not your job and your work. So what is the Sabbath? What is it in Scripture? It is the way... Uh, it's for our welfare. It's something God gives us to rest for our welfare, but it's for his glory. You see that? So that's that's basically what the Sabbath is in Scripture, that we're supposed to rest and focus on him. So then the question becomes, how do we misuse it? And I touched on that a little bit already in the way we start to get into our work. But it's not just that. right? God says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't work one day a week. Set that aside and don't work. In the Old Testament, that's what he was saying. Inevitably, what happens is we take that And we make it into a rule, right? We make it into a rule. If I do this, then I'll be okay before God. We take it and we twist it into a way we justify ourselves before God. Now, you may say, well, I don't really struggle with that so much today, the Sabbath. But I'll give you an example. It's the same thing. There's a command in the New Testament. Do not forsake meeting together regularly. Here, we're supposed to be and come to church and meet together. Now, we can take that and we can twist it into a rule that I justify myself before God. And we do that all the time. Oh, no, I haven't been to church in two weeks. And we start to feel guilty. I better go this week because I haven't been. And we're doing the same thing. We're making church into a rule. We're making God's commands that were given for us because it's how we flourish. It's how we work best. And we twist it into rules. And we do it all the time. And that's what happens. And that's really what we see happening even in the scripture here today. Look at me with me at uh, verses one and two. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to them, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So what happens here is Jesus and the guys are out walking through a field and they're hungry and they pass some grain, some stock and they grab it and they take it and they they rub it in their hands and they pop it in their mouth. And there's the Pharisees, the legalism police. There they are watching and they go, aha, we've got you. You're doing work. You're farming. That's really what it's almost comical when you think about it. What they're saying is you're being a farmer. They're not being a farmer. They're, they're taking a snack as they stroll through. But what's happened is they've taken what God's commands and they've made it into a bunch of rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, it's really absurd when you start to read all the rules that grew up around the law. I was actually Joanna and I the other night were sitting on the couch and I was just reading through it and we were laughing. At all. I'm just going to give you one that we could go through a ton, but I'm going to give you one that kind of that focuses that you can't take a bath on the Sabbath, because if you do, you might spill some water on the floor and then you're cleaning the floor. <laughs> I, I'm not making that up. That That's what had grown up around the Sabbath rules. They had taken what God gave us, what was originally intended for you to rest and to focus on who God is, and they had made it into all these rules and all these things you do. And it had gotten so ridiculous and so out of whack. And we laugh at that and we kind of go, that's crazy. Who could ever. But we do the same thing so often today, just in different ways. You know, we do it. We, we make goals for ourselves. Uh, by the age of 40, I want to be partner in my firm. Right. And if I make that, then I'll then I'll be happy with who I am. And we start to try to justify ourselves by our work. Or maybe we try to justify ourselves by our children. Right. If my, my kids are on a roll or they're this or that I, if they get into this school and then we, we go, look at how good of a parent I am by what my kids do. And we do it with all different ways, whatever it may be. Maybe you're really good. At, maybe you're a really great artist or you're a really great musician or whatever it is. And you get your worth from, look at what I do. And we do it all the time. And we start to twist it into a way that we justify ourselves. And it's a mess when we do that. And that's what's happening here. They start to take everything and make it into rules, into ways that they can justify themselves. But that's not all they do. Look at what they do in verses 9 and 10. So first they take the Sabbath. The first way we misuse it is we make it rules in ways we try to justify ourselves. But look what happens in verses 9 and 10. And he went on from there and he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? You see what's happening? First way we misuse it is we make it into rules. The second way is then we make it into rules so we can hold it over other people so we can push them down and make ourselves look better. You see, that's what they're doing. They come in and they go, ah, haha, let's let's ask them this question and see if we can't catch them in some sort of uh, problem here, in some sort of sin, so then we can say, Look, how much better we are. See what happens is when we start to make God's laws into rules our relationship becomes horizontal and not vertical, right? We start to look at all other people and we go, oh, that one's not doing so good, I'm better than them. And instead of actually drawing closer to God, trying to be closer to them, we try to push everybody else down so we look like we're closer, right? That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were making it into rules to try to justify themselves, but then they took it a next step further. They're trying to mess other people up. They're trying to catch them so they can make themselves look better. And it's a sad way to live. This may seem like a really ridiculous example, but as I read this this week, I thought of a show that I used to watch when I was a little kid. It was The Dukes of Hazard. If you know what the Dukes, if you don't know what The Dukes of Hazard is, it's a horrible show and there's no reason to watch it. It's really bad. <laughs> I mean, literally. If you watch it now, you'd be like, "Why did I ever watch that?" It's really bad. But uh, the one thing I remember in Dukes of Hazard is they drove around everywhere really fast, and the and the sheriff was always trying to catch them. And then he would start setting up speed traps for him everywhere. The dukes, the two guys would drive around and they'd go and he'd switch the, the sign, you know, it'd say 55, but he'd switch it to 40. And then he'd go, aha, now I've got him. And he'd go after him. And what he would do is he would use these speed traps to try to catch him. And I know that sounds like a crazy kind of silly example, but that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were taking the law and they were trying to get so particular about it that they could catch people. And it's just like the speed limit. I mean, think about it. What is the speed limit for? The speed limit is there to help us get safely from point A to point B. That's what it's there, to help us be safe. It's for our own benefit. And when you start to use it as a speed trap, then suddenly you've totally distorted what it was there for. Same thing with the Pharisees. Instead of God giving us laws that help us to to flourish and to live better, they start using it to put other people down and point out, Oh, you messed up, and you did this, and you did that. And there's this really, really bitter irony that comes out of that. And it's the same thing when we start to try to justify ourselves, but it's certainly with the Pharisees here. The bitter irony is here they are on the Sabbath working harder than they've ever worked trying to catch everybody else. Right? The Sabbath that set aside to rest and to focus on God and they are so busy looking at what everybody else is doing. They are working so, so hard. And it's the same thing in our lives when we start to try to justify ourselves by what we do or our job, or how good our kids are, it's it's like a hamster running on a wheel. You'll never catch up. You'll never get there. And you'll just go and go and go and go until you're exhausted and you'll never rest because you're trying to do it. You're trying to take what God set up to point you towards Him, and instead you're trying to make it some rules I can follow to earn my way to Him. You see the difference? And that's the way we, we misuse the Sabbath. We do that all the time. So how do we come to it correctly? What does Jesus say here on how we are to use it? Look at verses 3, 4, and 5 with me. Right? When they first accuse him and the disciples, they say, you're doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David said when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered into the house of God and he ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, right? So Jesus turns to them, and as he often does, he goes straight to Scripture, and he asks them a very cutting, direct question. These are the guys that are supposed to be the uh, authorities on Scripture, and he says, have you not read what the Bible? What he says is, have you not read the Bible? Have you not read what it says and what David did and what the priests did and what Jesus is, is working out?" Like he says, the priests. He says, if you're going to go into hyper legalism and try to catch everybody in one little thing, well, let me point this out to you. The priests work really hard on the Sabbath. They probably work harder on the Sabbath than they do other any other days. So you see what he's doing. He's exposing how that legalism breaks down. And he says, well, wait a second. They work really hard on the Sabbath. What about that? And of course, they didn't have an answer. They weren't sure what to say. But Jesus makes his point here and he goes straight to it. And what he's saying is God cares more about the heart than he cares about the rules. And that doesn't mean he doesn't care about the rules, but he cares about the motivation that's behind carrying them out, not just carrying them out on the outside. You see that? So he goes straight to that. Now, look at what he says in verses 10 through 13. Right. They they ask, is it lawful to heal the man on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? So they're trying to set him up. But what he says, excuse me, what he says is which one of you, if you had a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Right. So they're trying to catch him. They're trying to get him into this little, you know, they're setting up this situation to ask him this question. Jesus knows what they're doing. We've said that over and over each week. He knows the thoughts and the intentions of man and he knows exactly what's going on. And he walks right into it and he turns it back onto them and he says, which one of you would help your sheep? He knows the answer. That was part of the Sabbath law. It was okay to get your sheep if it fell into a pit. They had some things in there, some, uh, some little loopholes that they could, they could get in there. And that was one of them. And he knew that. And he goes right to it and he says, which one of you wouldn't take your sheep? And then he turns and he says, how much more valuable is a man? And I can hear as I read this, as I read this this week, I can hear my coach in my head going through Jesus. You've got tunnel vision, guys. You would help your sheep, but you wouldn't help this guy because it's the Sabbath. You've made it all about rules and what you're doing and how well you do it. You've missed the big picture. Right? I want you to think for just a second how Jesus summarizes the law. Right? When he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And He says, you guys have totally missed that. Not only have you missed it, you're trying to put people down and hurt them and not help them. You're doing the opposite. You're so busy, caught up, and they're so busy, caught up with their rules and what they are. They're missing what they're all about. And then he tells us what they're all about. He tells us what they're missing. Look at verses six through eight with me. This is the the whole key of everything Jesus says is right here. And I tell you, something is greater than the temple is here. If you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guilt, guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So what Jesus says is you've lost sight of what you're trying to do. So let me bring that back to you. Let me bring that into focus for you. And Jesus turns and he says to them that all Sabbath, all the rules, you know, he gives that example of the priest. He says the priests are working really hard in the temple. And they all, nobody would have had an objection to that because the temple was the center of worship at that time and it was the most important thing. And Jesus says, just as the priest worked in the temple and you're okay with that, well, something greater than the temple is here. And of course, we know what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about himself. And he says, all these things that you're doing, all these rules and all the Sabbath and all the stuff that you're working so hard to do, he says, all of it points to me and you're missing it. You're missing the very thing it all points to. And then he tells them, he says right there, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We're not going to spend a long time on that because we talked about that just a couple weeks ago. But let, let me remind you what we said. I desire mercy. Mercy means steadfast love. So what Jesus is saying, I desire steadfast love, not rules. I desire you to love me above all else and in doing so that overflows and you love your fellow man. And he says, you guys are missing it because you've made it all about rules. You've made it all about justifying yourselves by what you do. And it's a mess. And that's what he says to all of them. And he says, you'll never rest. What he's telling there's never going to be rest. Right. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You're never going to get rest the way you're doing it. There's only one way you're ever going to get rest. You know, that wonderful, wonderful thing we talked about at the beginning, when everything is perfect, that perfect shalom, the perfect peace, perfect relationship with God. And Jesus says it's not going to come through you attaining it through some rules. Right. Our very first reading, our first reading this morning from Hebrews four tells us exactly how it's possible. And it says this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, what he's telling us is the way that we actually rest, the way that we really have true Sabbath rest is not by earning our way. It's not by taking the things God says and making them into a to do list. And if I do this, this and this, then I get there. Right. If we if we come at it that way, you will never rest. You'll always be exhausted and you'll never make it. The only way we truly rest and we truly enter into that is when we come to Jesus as the one who's done it for us. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Something greater than the temple is here. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You come and you rest through what I've done for you, not what you do for me. You see the difference? It's a world of difference. It's the exact opposite. Jesus is saying you'll never earn it. Have you ever thought... As you're reading through the Gospels, maybe you read through the Gospels and you think, this is such a weird mix of stories. You know, it goes from one to the next and it kind of jumps around. But as you start to read it more and more, you start to see clearly how God has laid his word out. And here's this beautiful picture of Jesus pointing to you get Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is pointing to me and it's about you resting and what I've done for you. And if you notice, look with me if you've got your Bible at Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, the passage that immediately precedes this passage on how we rest. And it says this Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is saying it's not about rules. And it's not about you earning your way. It's about me and what I've done for you. You come to me and you rest in the grace that I freely give you. You come to me and you say, it's for what you've done for me, not what I can do for you. You see the difference there. So what happens, though, so many times, and it's where, where even the, uh, the title of our sermon came from today. When we take Christianity... And we turn it into a bunch of rules. And the way we earn our way, we remove what Christ has done for us and we end up with religion. Right? So I would say Christianity minus Jesus Christ equals religion. It's just a bunch of rules and a things that we try to earn our way. But that's not what Christianity truly is. Christianity is putting your faith and hope in all things and what Christ has done for you. And then you want to do out of giving back for him and you can rest in who you are before God because what he's done for you. So I want to end with this this morning. If you are trying to earn your worth, if you're trying to validate your existence, if you're coming to church this morning to assuage some sort of guilt. Oh, no, I haven't been to church in a while. If you feel that I'm here. Oh, no. Now God will be happy with me because I've come to church or I've done whatever it is. I want want to ask you this morning to lay that down. Let go of it. Because if you're, if you're coming to him that way, you'll never rest. So lay it down to him today and give it to him and enter into the rest that he's freely offering you. That Jesus has taken your sins and he's paid for it on your behalf and he gives you all that he is. I want you to think about that. right? We talked in the beginning about how God is perfect peace and perfect rest in and of himself. He's offering that to you in Jesus and he says you can just take it as a free gift. And I want you to lay it all down. And when when that happens, you realize you're accepted and loved by God of the universe because of what Jesus has done for you, not what you do for him. And when that happens, you can finally and completely and totally rest in who you are in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray this morning that we would see clearly That all you've done for us is to point us uh, to who you are. That all the rules and all the Sabbath and all the things point to you and what you are coming to do for us. That they reveal that we can never do enough on our own. That your relationship with us is not built on rules that we earn our worth before you, but it's built on what Jesus did on our behalf. I pray that you would... And press that upon our hearts that we would be able to truly and completely and totally rest in who you are and what you've done for us. That we'd lay down all the things that we try to uh, justify ourselves with, whatever it may be, and that we would find our worth in you and you alone. We thank you for all you've done for us and we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.